We have a readings this morning from John 18 and 19. And uh, Martin and Helen are going to bring the first of those two for us now. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. 
One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews. They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. We're going to continue the uh, story of uh, the death of Jesus now in chapter 19 of John. Uh, Tom and Jacqueline Davis are going to read to us. Jesus sentenced to be crucified. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. 
Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar, and anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The crucifixion. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, the disciples took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Fears. Fears of being found out. The fear of being lost and alone. Fear of heights. I guess one of the fears that 
many of us have, is the fear of things getting out of control. Last Sunday morning we were reassured that in the midst of disaster, we can remember that God is still in control, that he is sovereign, and nothing can happen without him allowing it. And you may ask, well, how do we know he is sovereign? Is it just that he tells us he is sovereign? Well, as we've listened to these passages read to us this morning from John's Gospel, what stands out throughout all the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus is that he is in control. He's not some naive political leader who got in above his head, not some do-gooder who became unstuck, but truly a sovereign Lord. And if we just look at some of the instances where that comes across, we look at the beginning of of chapter 18, as the soldiers and officials of the chief priest and, and Pharisees arrived with their torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. It says in verse 4, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. Knowing all that was going to happen to him. None of these events that we remember on Good Friday were a surprise to Jesus. They were all as had been prophesied. They were all the will of the Father which he shared. This was a will which he had accepted as being for his Father's glory and for the good of his people. And when Jesus tells the soldiers he is the one they're looking for, instead of them just grabbing him and taking him away, it says the soldiers drew back. They fell to the ground. doesn't explain why whether it's a sudden wave of terror, a realisation that Jesus truly was a king. But clearly they are not in control. Jesus could have prevented his arrest if he wanted to at any time. He could have done that. But as he says to Peter, after telling Peter to put away your sword, Peter, he says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus was here on a mission, and nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling that mission, even though it would involve excruciating physical pain. The whip lashing into his back, the crown of thorns being thrust into his head, the fist smashing him in the face, and finally the nails being driven into his hands and feet. And there would have been the emotional torture of being mocked and spat at, something we as humans often hate even more than physical pain sometimes. But worst of all was the the spiritual agony of being abandoned by his father as his father turned his face away from him as Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world. And all of this pain, all of this suffering, Jesus endured willingly because that was the way that had been ordained for us to be forgiven and for the Father to be glorified. It was for his Father's glory and for the eternal salvation of his people that Jesus went through all that willingly, that he didn't waver from the task set before him, that he saw it through right to the end. He was no helpless victim. 
He was the almighty Son of God, laying his life down for his friends. We see his control over the situation again in the confrontation with Pilate. Pilate says, don't you realise that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answers, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And the funny thing is that after this exchange, it says in verse 12 there, that from then on, in chapter 19, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the funny thing is he's not able to. He doesn't have the power to set him free because it wasn't the will of God that Jesus should be set free. But the last reference to Jesus' control over these events, which I just want to spend a few moments meditating on is verse 28 of chapter 19 where it says later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled Jesus said I'm thirsty a jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge and a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips when he'd received the drink Jesus said It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Why did he say, I'm thirsty? I mean, it's pretty obvious in many ways he would have been thirsty, having spent six hours hung on a cross, asphyxiating. But was it just a, you know, would you mind getting me a glass of water? Normally you have a drink to, to quench your thirst so that you can keep on going, but... It's interesting here that after he has the drink, he says it's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His thirst is like the conclusion of his physical suffering. He now knows that everything has been completed. And so he cries out in order to fulfill the scripture. That scripture may be Psalm 22, where it says, My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Maybe Psalm 69, which says, I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. And later they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Either way, what I think is clear here is that This thirst is more than just a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst, a thirsting for God. Because what was going on on that cross was that the punishment we deserved of being cut off from God, of being separated from him, being abandoned by him, that was happening to Jesus. He was thirsting for his father. Remember the story of Jesus with a woman at the well. What Jesus said to that woman was, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he carried on, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him would become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here Jesus makes clear that distinction between physical thirst and spiritual thirst. Physical thirst is something which 
we feel and with a glass of water we're satisfied, but then we keep coming back to be satisfied again. Spiritual thirst is that longing for meaning in life that can only be satisfied through a relationship with our creator God. Once we have that relationship, then it is satisfied forever. We need never look for satisfaction in anything else. The problem for Jesus was that having from from eternity always been with the Father, there had never been a time when he was not together with him. Even when Jesus gave up his heavenly throne and and came down to to earth to live the life of a man, he still maintained an intimacy with the Father. And we see that throughout John's Gospel. Some of the things he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. There's such a unity, a oneness there, and it's that, that unity that makes this separation so painful. And the pain of separation tends to be all the more severe, depending how, how well, how long you have known someone. So in the case of the Son here, now to be separated from the Father, the pain was even more severe. He's yearning for him with an incredible thirst. And so as I conclude, and as we come around this table, we are reminded how Jesus was able to say, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And the source of that promise is in these three words, I am thirsty. It's because Jesus was prepared to suffer a terrible thirst for us that we need not be thirsty, that our spiritual thirst is quenched for all eternity. And so if you have had your spiritual thirst quenched by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that by his death you have been made right with God, then you're invited to come and share in the Lord's Supper now, trusting that by his death, Jesus has quenched that thirst for us forever.